Welcome to NGSBA's podcast program, podcast program uh, Conversation on New Jersey Education, uh, where you can be a part of the conversation on education issues in New Jersey. Today we have a special program. Uh, this is more for the candidates, people can, who are running for the school board in New Jersey. Um, if you want to participate in the program, we have a chat room uh, uh, feature that you can just go on uh, on the Blog Talk Radio site. You can uh, you have to register with Blog Talk Radio, but uh, if you scroll down, there's no charge or anything for that. You can also call one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press one. Now let me know you have a question. Just to let you know, if I go to ask you, uh, the person who usually works our switchboard is six, so I'll identify you by your last four digits of your phone number. So joining me today uh, as we talk about. You know, the basic things that every school board member should know in their first uh, year will be uh, Terry Luce, who's a field service representative uh, for New Jersey School Board Association. Welcome, Terry. Hi, Ray. How are you this evening? Good. And just for the, those uh, candidates who want to know, uh, you, uh, what counties do you uh, serve? I'm located in South Jersey, and I cover the counties of Camden, Gloucester, and Salem. And before I introduce Carl, uh, if someone's elected to the school board, every, every county has a, or at least one field service representative uh, uh, for uh, each. Uh, 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 I can't think of the word. Well, every every school board, every school district has a field service representative. Has a field service rep, right? Yes, there are nine of us in the state. Uh, there are about three in the south, and there are six. Uh, like towards Central and North Jersey. Okay. Uh, and also with us is the Director of NJSBA's Legal and Labor Relations Department, uh, Carl Tanksley. Welcome, Carl. Hey, Ray, Terry. Glad to be here. Hope everybody's well. Good, good. And, Carl, just for those candidates, uh, NJSBA has a legal department that, uh, and a labor relations department. Could you just, for those candidates, so they know what services you provide for school board members? Sure. We have a full staff, almost a full staff, of uh, four attorneys who do various legal issues, handle various legal issues. Uh, one of our more popular features is a uh, attorney of the day feature where any board member can call in on any legal question or labor question that they have that's pertinent to their district and gets information or advice uh, on how to resolve some of the issues, some of the sometimes thornier issues that pop up from time to time. Uh, they can have conversations um, with any issue, be it contract issue, be it labor, be it uh, tenure, be it student discipline, um, any issue that pops up in schools. We also do salary construction guides or salary guides that uh, help boards construct and deconstruct their existing salary guides and help manage that um, those guides as they go into negotiations. So all kinds of legal issues that pop up and various questions uh, we're on hand to help with. Okay. Um, well, Carl, I'm going to give you the first question because um, board member, you get elected to the school board, uh, and there's a lot of legal parameters that they have to be aware of before they even get on the board, a lot of things that guide you. Uh, but one of the things is uh, and it's around conflicts of interest. Um, sometimes you can't participate in everything that the rest of the board is doing because of either relatives who might work in the district or somewhere else uh, or business dealings with the district. Could you 
briefly because we have done whole programs for an hour or an hour and a half on this, but uh, briefly some of the things that if you're a school board member, you elected to your school board, you should be uh, concerned with. Okay. Well, as a new school board member, uh, there are a couple of statutes that come to mind. Um, the School Ethics Act is the primary statute that controls board members' behavior with regard to conflicts of interest. And that's the statute that essentially tells board members how they should comport themselves when acting as a board member and what kind of personal or family relationships that they're allowed to have. Um, not that anyone here is looking to essentially uh, violate the law and benefit themselves or, the, or their family members. But the law has, uh, I guess, over time developed, um, I guess, a philosophy that certain types of relationships are inimical to the public interest, and therefore they are prohibited if you're a board member. For example, uh, family members. If you have an immediate family member or relative in district, that can be problematic, uh, not, not because, anyone is, because we expect anyone to violate the law, but just because history has shown that the public perception uh, is, is there that individuals with these types of relationships uh, have in the past violated the law, and there might be an expectation or, or thought process on behalf of the public that uh, it could happen again. So if you have an immediate family member uh, defined as parent, sibling, spouse, or child who works in the district, you're going to have some ethical issues that uh, should be discussed with the board attorney and probably with your, uh, with your BA as well, let him or her know that these relationships exist. And if you have any relatives working in district, uh, you're going to have some uh, the same type of conversation um, with the board attorney, with the BA, with regard to uh, things that can or can't be done with respect to um, your immediate family or relatives in district. Now, relatives is very broadly def defined under the statute. It can be your grandparents, your, your, your in-laws. It can be your nieces, your nephews, your cousins. Anybody related to you by blood, marriage, or adoption is a relative. So as a board member, if you're looking to run for the board and you're uh, fortunate enough to be elected, uh, you can't be involved in any type of employment matter involving either an immediate family member or a relative. And so far, and uh, the law even goes so far as to exclude you from negotiating a collective bargaining agreement or collective negotiations agreement if that uh, family member or relative works in a particular bargaining unit in your district. So if you have a, uh, an in-law who's a teacher who works in district, then you can't negotiate on behalf of the teachers uh, because the public could perceive you as trying to gain a benefit for that family member or that relative. Same thing with regard so to if you get elected to the board. You probably, if, if you have any relative of any sort, you probably should go to the board attorney and say, uh, "Just is this a you know, is this a conflict or potential conflict?" And we'll, we'll talk about the code of ethics later. Um, so to be proactive in that area. Right, and a good rule of thumb, Ray, is that anytime you have a connection to a matter that's different either different than your fellow board members or different than you've had in the past to a matter, it's always good to ask the board attorney uh, whether you have a conflict with regard to that matter or not. That way you can be clear. Okay. Uh, Terry, I'm going mm -hmm. to be switching back and forth because there's legal things, but there's also, uh, as a board member, probably uh, from my perspective, 
the most important skill is dealing with other people, whether it's the, the administration or other board members or even parents when they come to you. Um, what's the relationship? And uh, I should, I'm should i going to go backtrack when I introduce you. If someone gets elected to the school board, my advice to them is find out who your field service representative is, and that's your first phone call because um, they can usually lead you. If they don't have the answer, they can lead you into the correct direction. Um, that's my advertisement for you, Terry, in the field service department. Um, what's the relationship, though, Terry, between the superintendent and the board that uh, a new board member ha needs to know? Well, that's a great question. I think a lot of um, people don't realize that the superintendent is actually a member of the board. He's the only paid member, um, and he's also the only he or she is also the only member that does not vote, but they still are a member of the board. Um, I think new board members coming in not only need to realize that they have to make a relationship with that person, but also with the remaining board members that are on the board. Um, interestingly enough, one person on a board um, really has no power. So as much as you might want to go in and say, well, you know, I would like us to do this, I would like to see this, um, you really have to have a majority of your board agree with you in order for that to move forward. So our best advice is to, um, you know, sit back for a few months and watch, see how it works. Um, not that it's difficult, but you need to kind of take perspective of, okay, where are they actually? And where do I fit in? And when I say where are they, you know, all districts are working on things. We're already midway through the school year by the time reorganization takes place and they take their board seat. So they need to really get caught up to speed on what is going on. You know, what are the district's goals? What is everyone working on this year? And in order to do that, you have to form some relationships. And, um, and it's probably also important as a little follow-up to that, that the the board sets the policy direction. Boards don't actually, particularly an individual board, they don't uh, make uh, administrative decisions. No, that's exactly right. Board is a policy-making body, so they provide oversight. So they want to make sure that the district is being run well, but they do not run the district. That's the uh, reason that we have superintendents in the state of New Jersey. That's their job to run the district. It's our job as board members to make sure that they're doing it and they're doing it with the way that um, we would like them to. I'm going to just do one more follow-up on that. Um, so the, the relationship with the superintendent is very important for the entire board to be effective. Um, how do you hold a superintendent evaluation, uh, a superintendent um, accountable? Is that through the evaluation process? Yeah, there's a number of different ways. You know, I mentioned the district goals earlier. And, and I can't stress enough how important that is. You know, they get set back in, you know, June or July, and that really says this is, this is our major focus, these items, and this is what we want to work on this upcoming year because we think this is going to benefit the kids in the district the most. So superintendents are evaluated on their progress towards those district goals. So it's really important that they go through that process first and that new board members know what those goals are because they will sooner or later be participating in that evaluation of the superintendent 
which provides the accountability. Um, and that takes place in the spring months. Mm-hmm. So they'll be coming on in January. So they might. One of the questions they might want to ask is, what are, what were our district goals going into the year? That should be one of the first questions. Absolutely. What are we working on? What are our goals? And to do it not in an accusatory way, but just as an informative way. Yeah. You know, there are uh, uh, some districts. Oh, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Am I getting ahead of myself? I don't know. We have so much to cover. We're trying to tell everyone everything they need to know about being a board member in 45 minutes or less. I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's difficult to. Uh, as I said earlier, we can do a whole program on CSA evaluation and relationships, one on uh, conflicts of interest and one on code of ethics, and that could be a whole program. And I actually have done that. So um, I'll, I'll get back to you. I just uh, I'll go back to Carl on one thing because he did mention the code of ethics a little bit before, and we only focus on the conflicts of interest. Uh, the code of ethics uh, is something that kind of guides the not just the conflicts of interest, Carl, but also, you know, how you got, uh, how you handle yourself in situations as a board member. Can you briefly tell us a little bit about what the Code of Ethics is? Because I, I think many people are not familiar with it. Okay, sure. Code of Ethics is part of the School Ethics Act, as I mentioned earlier. And it has specific provisions in the Code of Ethics that gives board members uh, what the legislature has called guidance onto what is and what is, it is not appropriate behavior. So, for things, for example, you can't do things like use your office to benefit yourself or members of your family. You can't use your office for personal gain. Uh, you can't micromanage or administer the district. Terry mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that uh, board members should make sure that they oversee the district but not administer the district. That's one of the issues that some boards have issues with because it's a, it's a gray area as to when your, uh, when your oversight authority stops and where micromanaging starts. So sometimes boards need additional training, additional guidance, uh, making sure that they don't overstep their bounds and start uh, administering or micromanaging the district as opposed to uh, ensuring that, it's, that the district is well run. So the Code of Ethics is, is, is essentially uh, – an oath or a promise by board members that they won't engage in any of these prohibited behaviors uh, to make sure that the district is uh, and make sure the district is is well run uh, from their perspective as a, a an, an umbrella type uh, oversight as opposed to actually getting your hands dirty and doing the work. As Terry mentioned, policy is the vehicle by which the board runs the district, so that's their their primary source of uh, of, of authority over the district. Uh, Carl, you, know, you mentioned the word micromanagement, and maybe Terry, you might want to comment on this, um, because the Code of Ethics t kind of delineates what is the board's role and what is the superintendent's role. So, if a board member tries to get into those other areas, it could be a violation of the Code of Ethics. Correct? That yeah. is correct. I'm sorry, Terry, that was yours. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, that's okay. Sorry. I was just going to add. You know, you were talking about the Code of Ethics. And that is one of the things that board members may see um, at their reorganization meeting because a lot of boards actually sit down and review the Code of Ethics at that time. But even mm -hmm. if they don't, it's really a good document to get your hands on because it basically says, you know, these are my lines as a board member. Stay between these lines. So that is one good thing that, you know, early on in your board term you, you want to be familiar with. 
And, Carl, and, who the, the, and who created the, I mean, who oversees the Code of Ethics? Maybe a, a, a new board member should know that, too. That's an important point, too, because the School Ethics Commission uh, is the, the entity, the body that oversees and implements the, the School Ethics Act. It's a body made up of nine individuals uh, appointed by the governor, um, no more than four of which can be from any, no, sorry, more than five of which can be from any one political party. Uh, and five of them are laypersons. There are two administrators and two board members that are assigned as well. And it's their job, essentially, to implement the School Ethics Act. Uh, one of the major components of the act itself, aside from the Code of Ethics, is the training component. As Ray mentioned, there are a number, and both Terry and Ray have mentioned, there are a number of areas in the Act, and any one of them, the Act itself could be a full hour-long presentation and probably could be two or three-hour-long presentation, but we don't want to subject anybody to that tonight. Uh, what I do want to mention, though, is there is a training component that's uh, part of the Act, and it requires that board members go through training each of their first three years on the board, and then if they're reelected, they have to complete an additional um, round of training during the first year of their uh, reelective term. So if all this is going by you kind of quickly, uh, that's fine. I just want to give you the broad over overview, but you'll get, receive much more information and much more detail about your obligations as a board member during that training, first year, second year, third year, and any in your reelective term. All right. I want to stay kind of on a Code of Ethics, uh, Terry, for uh, another reason, but let me just uh, – I'm, I'm Ray Penny with New Jersey School Board Association. I'm talking with Terry Lewis, one of our field service representatives, and I'm also talking with Carl Tanksley, who is director of our legal and uh, labor relations department. If you have any questions, you can dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press 1 just to let me know that you have a question, or you can just type it right into the chat room. I know there's a few people there already, and um, – so uh, staying on the code of ethics, one of the things is the uh, chain of command uh, for a board member uh, and how to handle complaints. Um, and, you know, as a new board member, parents come up to you all the time. Uh, how do you handle this, Terry? No, um, it's, it's actually very easy. Uh, but when you're caught in those situations, it makes you a little bit uncomfortable any complaints, anything that needs to be addressed by the school district needs to go back to the school district. So board members should be contacting their superintendent saying, this is a complaint that is out there in the field, this is what we're hearing, and let them take care of it. It's not a board member's job to go in and, and investigate to, to see what's happening or to check it out. That's not really our job. Our job is to make sure that the superintendent is aware of what is being said out there and to take subsequent action to correct it, if it needs to be corrected. So when you get those things from parents, you kind of have to remember, you know, thank you for sharing that. Urge them to contact the school. You know, if you're having an issue with the teacher, urge them to contact the teacher, the principal, then the superintendent. Um, and if, if they're not, if they're unwilling to do that, then you can turn over what information you have to the superintendent and let it go from there. Okay. I would Paul, agree, you Terry, but I would go 
I would go a little bit stronger than that because of what uh, is in the statute. And it requires that any time that a complaint is referred or brought to a board member, that they have to uh, refer that complaint to the superintendent for uh, an administrative solution and give the administration an opportunity to solve that problem before the board tries to step in. As Terry said, uh, one thing that the board is obligated to do is not fix the problem itself, but make sure that the problem gets fixed. So essentially holding the superintendent's feet to the fire or making sure the superintendent is held accountable for uh, resolving whatever issues are brought to the board. That's the first step that a board member should always take is refer any complaints or information to the superintendent so the superintendent can either take care of it or delegate it to someone who will take care of it. Uh, and, Terry, I, I know as a new board member or any board member, you're going to hear something. <laughs> they're, they're going to go to you first. Uh, does it help the relation, if you, relationship with the superintendent to say, look, there's an issue out here with uh, the, maybe the bus stops, uh, you know, and on the – Public school number one, uh, parents are complaining about that. You're going to get, you're going to hear from that. Does that help foster the relationship that you're following the code, and so with the superintendent at least? Absolutely, they really appreciate that. I mean, let's face it. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in a district, um, and everybody wants to be on top of all of them. But let's face it, nothing is perfect, and things come up. So if there is an issue with a bus stop. Or, or something else, yes, you're absolutely bound to bring that to the superintendent's attention. Um, I think what I was alluding to before was don't get caught up in someone's individual uh, issue, like with a child's teacher or something going on with their own child. Because um, as a board member, you'll get a lot of those. You know, I feel like uh, my son's second grade teacher is picking on him or I don't like the way that she's grading or he's grading. You know, that's not our purview as board members, and it's our job to turn those parents around and say, look, you need to contact the child's teacher and have this discussion. This is not something that I can help you with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one other thing. Uh, I want, I'm a board member, and I, I want to inspect the buildings. Uh, I want to do a walkthrough. Uh uh, can I just walk into any building in the district? No. Or do I, is there a protocol? <laughs> there is a protocol. Um, and a lot of times that's something that is discussed with new board members just so that they know. And actually the protocol is if there's something that you want to see in a building, um, you need to go through the superintendent first. Um, and they may direct you to someone else or they may set up a, a, you know, a visitation for you but it's important that you go through the superintendent first. And again, be careful what you're going in for. And I'll, and I'll give you an example here. So we had uh, new smart boards delivered. Well, if I've never seen one in action before, I may say, you know, hey, can I visit the school to see how these things work? I don't know what it is they do and everybody talks about them. Absolutely go through the superintendent. But you don't want to make an appointment with the superintendent to say, gee, I would like to walk through the school to make sure that you've installed all the smart boards, because that's mm-hmm. not our job as, as board members. And, and also, I guess we should say is you can't observe classes. You, you can? Know, if you want to see what Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, as long as you abide by the, the building's visitor's policy. Because yeah. each of the schools have a policy on how visitors 
people come to the classroom or come to the office. And as board members, you're going to want to be familiar with the, the district policy. And if there are any special policies in different buildings, like the elementary school or the high school, because as an individual board member and visiting the school, you essentially have the same rights as any other parent or citizen walking in the school. You have to report to the office. You have to sign in if that's the procedure. Um, get a badge if that's the procedure in that particular school. So whatever those procedures are, as an individual board member, you have to comply. But Terry, I would also say just one other point on that is uh, if you're a parent walking into a building and want to have a conference with the building principal or a building teacher, do you have to let the superintendent know about that too? If you are a parent and a board member? Right. If you're both and want to have a parent conference, parent, or a conference with one of your teachers, your students' teachers, is that something the superintendent has to know about? They don't have to, but we consider that a courtesy. Even if it's just an email or a quick phone call to say, look, I, I have a, a, conf, uh, a, a conference schedule with my child's teacher if you see me in the school today, just to kind of give them a heads up. Right. And, and then it's also good to let you those probably should do that because there's so many. Yeah, so many board members that have way, children. Right. That way, it won't be a surprise uh, if you're you're in the school, and the superintendent hasn't quite gotten the email or the voicemail about you being around yet. Someone happens to see you and calls and lets them him know him or her know. Then um, the superintendent's already aware that that's probably why you're in the building. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Terry, uh, I guess we should let the, once you're elected to the. The board, I think, even though you may have be a parent for someone who's been in the, your kid's been in the school seven or eight years, people might start to view you differently, particularly the staff, uh, maybe other parents. But so I think you have to be aware of that change, of how people perceive you now that you're a board member. So that's why you have to be a little extra careful. Yeah, and that's a good point because they do perceive you differently. I mean, at that point in time, you're now a board member but that doesn't preclude you from being your child's advocate either. Okay. Um, um, the other thing, you know, and I forgot to do this in the, uh, on conflicts of interest. Um, Carl, I'm a board member, uh, and I'm endorsed by the local teachers' union. Does that have any impact on me if I get elected? Uh, it could have an impact on you if you were elected after being endorsed by the union. Uh, it depends on where you are in negotiations with your with your union. Say you're endorsed by the teachers' union, um, you're in the middle of negotiations with them, and there's a couple of very contentious issues. Uh, that endorsement is essentially seen by this by the state as um, the possibility of you working a special deal with the union. So, in order to make sure that the appearance of a special deal doesn't take place, uh, that endorsement will essentially create a conflict of interest for you and prevents you from negotiating uh, any aspect of the collective bargaining agreement for the first year of your term. And depending on whether those issues continue and how long negotiations continue, could extend through the second or even third years of your term. So that's something to be uh, happy about getting the endorsement, but also of concern because then you're not conflicted out of negotiations. Um Okay, we talked about relationships with the superintendent and the administration. Um, Terry, what about the relationship with the other boards? Uh, you said it earlier. You said that you know your your authority lies with the entire board, whether that's five, seven, nine, uh, whatever the number is. Uh, is there any advice on getting along with the 
the other board members uh, uh, that you would pass on? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things. You know, um, if you were a board member like me, I shouldn't say this, but if you were a board member like me, try not to come in, think that you know everything. <laughs> and, you know, we all make those mistakes, and I did. Um, but when you come in like that, people tend to kind of look at you like, okay, so you don't understand how this works. Um, and that's why I said earlier, you know, take the time to talk to people. Talk to other board members. Find out what's important to them. Uh, again, find out what the district is working on. Forge that relationship with the superintendent. And then ask the board president, you know, who can I talk to if I have questions? Because I don't want to keep calling the same person over and over again. And that was where I was kind of going earlier. You know, there are a lot mm-hmm. of boards that have a mentoring program where after board members are elected in that kind of downtime in November and December, they can actually bring them in and go over this kind of information. Here's the code of ethics. Um, here's how we operate. Here's, here's the board's bylaws. Here's the spokesperson for the board. This is how we work. Um, and they go over that, and then they assign them a mentor, uh, another board member, so that if they do have any questions, they can call that person and say, hey, I have no idea what this means, or I'm looking at these reports. What am I supposed to look at? What's the most important part? Um, So it's really important to keep an open mind. Um, Everybody is there for a reason. I never saw a board member try to run for the board and say, I wanted to do a really poor job. Everybody wants to do a good job. So it's just a matter of, you know, finding out where they are and finding out where you are in the group and just forging those relationships to get to get student achievement accomplished in the district. And you can start that right after the election. Um, I just want to pass on, we have a question in the chat room. Uh, Carl, uh, uh, the the elections are next week. Is it okay to have a Meet the Candidates night sponsored by the local union uh, at a school uh, if all the candidates are invited? So how does that sure, if I understand the question correctly, uh, candidates' night sponsored by the union, uh, week of week during or the week week of the election, we'll say, is it okay to attend? It certainly is. Um, mm-hmm. You can attend as a candidate. You have the right to go to uh, any public event and uh, give your spiel. Uh, question is, in my mind, is whether that's on school grounds or not. I'm going to it assume that it's not on school grounds. And if it is, then it should be after school hours, and it sh- um, the union should go through the normal procedures to utilize uh, the district facilities by submitting a facilities use application, having that approved for that particular use, and making sure all candidates are invited. Um, as a board member, you don't need to you know, track behind the union to make sure these things are done. You're entitled to rely on on their obligation to fulfill those requirements. But if you find out that that's not being done, you really should have a conversation with um, school boards, or if you have a convers- if you're in the position to talk to the superintendent about uh, what you believe might be um, an oversight by the by the union, you can bring that to the uh, superintendent's attention as well, so they can get that situation. And, and most corrected. districts probably have a policy on events outside of that, uh, particularly political events that could be held at schools, there should be a policy in that area as well, right? 
I'm sure almost every district has a policy in place by now because it's been a requirement for probably 30 years now to have a facility use right. uh, policy uh, that includes know, uh, political activities. Um, before I, I move on, we're telling, I, I feel like I'm, we're telling uh, the candidates, new board members, everything they can't do, um, which I, I guess is what hap- tends to happen in the first uh, – uh, few months. You're not supposed to do this, not supposed to do that. There's the, all these guidelines. I want to be an effective board member, as you said, Terry. Uh, how do I get my issues heard? How do I get things put on the agenda? Um, you know, uh, wh- how do I be f- effective? Okay, you're right. You know, it did. we did, we did seem to um, sound like we were saying, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. But honestly, there is a lot of good that you can do as a board member. Um, one of the first things that you should probably do is get a hold of the board bylaws. Um, that's part of the policy, the policy manual. Um, if it's New Jersey School Board's policy manual, it's the 9000 series. And you need to make sure that you familiarize yourself with those. It will tell you how to get things on the agenda, who sets the agenda, when the agenda is supposed to come out. Um, it will tell you who the spokesperson for the board is. Um, it will tell you what your role is if you're on a committee. It will tell you what your role, what the role of the committee is. There's just so much good information in there. So that's where I would start to familiarize myself with, okay, so you know, how do I be the best board member that I can be? Start, number one, by reading the bylaws. You know, and number two, recognize that you know, we all got on a board to do something. We didn't think, well, gee, I'm just going to run for the board. A lot of times people have things that they want to accomplish. You have to be patient. Um, it's not going to happen overnight uh, because there are other people that also ran for the board to, because they had things that they wanted to do. So it's really good to have conversations with them, find out what it is they want to accomplish. Maybe it's the same as what you want to accomplish. Um, so you really need to have some good positive discussions with your fellow board members and then, you know, come to a game plan as to, okay, how can we get a lot of this in play? And I would just and add you that, can also do that I think Terry uh, said this earlier. A casual conversation with the superintendent and the board president to say, when do I get my packet? What are things that I should know um, as well? And you kind of alluded to that earlier, correct? Yeah, and there are a lot of districts now, you know, with the November election, because there are, you know, two months between the election and um, reorganization when you're installed, um, that a lot of districts are now having those meetings up front to go over that kind of information. You'll see how to access the policy manual. Um, you can ask them then about the bylaws. Where Can you tell me where they're located? And they do have like those informal conversations. Here's what we're working on. You know, here's a copy of the, the uh, contracts that you need. Um, so a lot of times that does take place. And don't ever think that that's the only time that you can have those conversations. The board president and the superintendent are there for you. I mean, if you need to ask a question, pick up the phone and call. Mm-hmm. And, Terry, you mentioned it earlier about one of, the most, one of the best ways to be an effective board member is to have conversations. And having conversations Absolutely. with people who don't agree with you, who don't have your same perspective, is the most effective way to build those relationships amongst the board 
um, and do and that allows you to do so in a respectful manner. You, you can disagree without being, as they say, disagreeable. Right. So just reach across the uh, the aisle and have conversations with people who have a different perspective than you. Mhm. And you know what? You have seven people, nine people. Not everyone's going to have the same thoughts. Um, Terry, you also mentioned the board president. Uh, and Carl, you can also chime in on this one too. Uh, does the board president have any extra authority than uh, the other board members? They, you know, what's their role in all of this? Well, there are some, uh, and, and Carl can probably tell you what they are. I know there's like four or five. There are some legal duties that the board president has to perform, but um, the most important thing that they bring to the table is the fact that they are usually the spokesperson for the board, and that's outlined in policy, and um, that they facilitate, they reside over all the board meetings. That's their function. It's their job to facilitate those, to make sure that the meetings move. What was that? Hello? You still there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. To make sure that the meetings move uh, the agenda. And, um, boy, that really knocked me right off my game. There was one other thing <laughs> I wanted to say. <laughs> I wanted to say about the board president. Uh, Carl? Okay. Well, well, while you're thinking of it, um, I would say that one of the most important things that the, the board president does is, besides chairing the, the meetings, uh, he helps set the agenda along with the superintendent. They do so in a, a consultative and deliberative fashion. But the board president also appoints the members to the committees. Uh, that's one of the um, roles that the board president um, has. That's one of the, I guess, one of the more prestigious roles as assigning people to which committees. And I would also say that even though we've mentioned Robert's Rules once or twice during this conversation, um, Robert's Rules is typically the method in which the board operates and sets forth the parameters on how the board uh, gets motions passed and how things are placed on the agenda. There is a lot of discretion in Robert's Rules. And we have 581 districts across the state, and there are probably 581 ways of getting things placed on the agenda because each board president has his or her own way of handling certain discretionary matters. So even though tonight we may have said this is how it's done or who's, this is who you, you want to speak to, in your district it may be a little bit different because Robert's Rules does allow for discretion and board bylaws and policies also allow for discretion in how the board operates on a on a month-to-month basis. So the board president is the one though who signs the bills uh, and makes sure that uh, that who speaks on behalf of the board in the media and on in, in social media and on TV, unless your policy calls for something different. It may allow somebody else or more people than just the board president to speak on behalf of the board. But before you do speak to the media as a new board member, that's something you really do want to check out is what your policy says because you don't want to open that door and uh, create an issue if you don't have to. And, you know, uh, Terry, Carl brought up uh, the board president assigns the committee assignments. Um, And there's usually, depending on the district, and I think Carl's right, uh, there's 581 different ways that committees are assigned um, depending on the district. Um, it, you know, if I don't get on the committee that I wanted to be on, uh, maybe I'm a teacher and I want to be on the curriculum committee, uh, wh- how should I react or how do I get my point across? Because I, I may not even know who the board president is until the first meeting. 
In fact, I won't know. I shouldn't, you know, I probably won't know. Yeah, if you don't get your if you don't get the uh the committee assignment that you want the first year out, do not be discouraged. Um, I think sometimes it's really difficult to to assign committees as a previous board president. I always agonized over it. Um, mm-hmm. But if I'm a new board member, the committee that I would probably want to be assigned to is policy because that is going to be the the easiest way for you to learn everything that happens in the district um, is to be on the policy committee because all the policies would then come through you for updating and, and looking at new policies, and you just learn so much, and you learn how the district operates through that. So, you know, if you don't get the committee assignment that you want, don't be discouraged. You know, let the board president know, hey, next year, if there's an opportunity, I would really like to serve on such and such a committee. And that time will come. Um, And what also happens from time to time is that you have to understand as a board member that sometimes you're going to be in the minority, sometimes not. But if you are in the minority and you don't win on your issue or your matter, um, you're, you're going to want to respect the wishes of the board just the same as if you are on the majority, you want the minority members to respect the wishes of the board. So it's a two-way street, and more cooperation leads to better boardsmanship. Uh, Carl, uh, she mentioned, uh, Terry mentioned, uh, you know, meeting and getting to know the, you know, uh, the board in the two months that you have before you get sworn in. Um, there's a couple things I wanted to bring up, and we haven't really touched on, but I think it's it's kind of important, and that's kind of uh, the Open Public Meetings Act, the Sunshine Law. Uh, yeah. In that time period, even though you're elected to the board, you cannot go into closed session. Uh, could you explain what closed session is and why you wouldn't be able to go into any type of closed session, even though you were elected? Okay. Even though you are a board member elect, until you take the oath of office, you have no more authority, no more power than an ordinary citizen. So you can't go into executive sessions, you can't see personnel files, you can't go into the classroom, you can't do anything other than uh, your, your normal conduct as a citizen. Uh, closed session is part of a public meeting, and uh, anyone who's attended a board meeting is probably aware that there are two different types of public meetings that take place. The open session, where the board comes out into the open uh, and deliberates asks questions, has conversations with administrators, and will even take questions from the audience during the public participation portion of the meeting. That's one part of the meeting. The other part is executive session. And under the Sunshine Law, or the Open Public Meetings Act, boards of education and all public boards have the right to go into executive session and discuss things that are private or confidential, Uh, things such as personnel matters is is a big one. If someone is ill or there's some other issue going on with their health, that's something that individuals normally want to, want to maintain their, their privacy about, their confidentiality about. So the law allows the board to uh, adjourn to executive session to have those confidential discussions. Uh, student matters. Obviously, student matters are confidential. You don't want to discuss personal student matters out in public session. Uh, things like purchasing real estate or contracts or legal advice from the attorney are things that you can go into executive session to discuss as well. Nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, the law encourages those private session discussions, those executive session discussions, because if you have some of those conversations in open session, then any advantage that the board might have or any leverage that the board might have is gone once that information becomes public. So if it's in the best interest of the, of the public entity 
and the law allows it, then it's perfectly fine, perfectly legal, and even uh, encouraged to go into executive session to discuss those confidential matters. Uh, before we, I have one final follow-up to that. Is uh, and Terry was mentioning committees. I'm not on a committee. Can I go to the committee meeting or uh, just to observe? Uh, or would that put why or why couldn't I? Generally, committees are established um, so that they can take deeper dives into information. But they can't be a quorum of the board, because if it was a quorum of the board, um, it would then have to be a legally advertised meeting. So committees are only set up with X amount of people to take those deeper dives into some information uh, or certain areas, uh, but they can't have a quorum. So as a new board member, even if I'm interested, if that committee is already established and I attend, uh, generally that's going to make it a quorum of the board, which would have to make it a legally advertised meeting. And, it's, and if you didn't advertise it, that would be an illegal meeting. Absolutely. Uh, yes, the violation of the Open Public Meetings Act. Uh, and I would just recommend to uh, new board members that they become familiar with the Sunshine Law. Okay, we're at the end of our time. Uh, so hopefully we covered as much as we could in that 45 minutes. Any final thoughts first from you, Carl, for a new board member? I would say uh, as a new board member, as I said initially, if you have questions or issues that you think might be a conflict or just general questions, you really need to ask somebody. You can, you, again, call us at school boards or talk to the board attorney once you're on the board or ask a fellow board member or the superintendent or the board president, but you really do yourself uh, a favor when you ask those kinds of questions. It's questions uh, from new board members that we've all heard before, so don't be, feel embarrassed about asking questions because at one point in time, we all didn't know what the law says, said or what the requirements are for uh, moving forward, moving matters in a different way. So if you're not sure, it's better to ask the question and get the answer. Okay, uh, Terry, any final thoughts? Yeah, and I'd have to agree with Carl. You know, everybody, your own board members, superintendent, your community members, we at New Jersey School Boards want you to have a successful board career. So don't be afraid to pick up the phone either to them or to us um, to get any questions answered that, or get any information that you might need to do a better job. That's what we're here for. And I would add one final thing uh, before I thank them is that if you're elected to the board, uh, you can. There will be candidate. Uh, there will be three R's for school board, new school board members, in uh, three regions of, new, of the state. Please look for those. Uh, you can go to our website for that. And also, a lot of the county associations. There's a county school board association. They have special meetings for new board members in January. So that'll give you an opportunity to network with people from other districts, which is also very helpful. So uh, Terry, I'd like to thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me. It was and, a pleasure. Uh, Carl, thank you. Sure. Glad to help out. And that brings us to the end of this program, and I hope you enjoyed it. And as I said, if you want to, any more information, you can contact any one of us. Uh, that's Carl Tanksley, Terry Lewis, or Ray Penny. Okay. Everyone have a good night. You too. Bye now. Bye now.